Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a learning session from TBA's Refugee Havdalah, taught by guest speaker Raphael Marcus from Hyas. So in synagogues uh, around the country, they're observing this weekend as Refugee Shabbat, an opportunity once again to reinforce that uh, our values as a Jewish community are, of course, about caring for the Jew in need and the Jew who needs um, protection from the world and also anyone else who is on the run, anyone else who uh, does not claim home as obviously and easily as we do, anyone else for whom living as a refugee is their standard reality. Um, that wonderful uh, tagline that Hayas put out a few years ago, it used to be that we cared because they were Jews, now we care because we are Jews, meaning most of the refugees in the world right now are not Jewish refugees, but our obligation to them is because we are Jewish, not because they are. So Beth Ham has had a long uh, and proud connection with Hayas. I myself have had uh, been connected to Hayas for nearly my entire life because my mother was a volunteer for them for many years. Um, and many of us, if we have uh, Ashkenazi, but not even only of Ashkenazi descent, many of us going back into our family tree have a grandparent or a great-grandparent or perhaps even a great-great-grandparent who came to these shores and was helped directly or indirectly because of Hayas's vision. Uh, and we're honored that we're uh, here tonight to have a meal, uh, to study a little bit, and then to have meal number two, because there's nothing more Jewish than serving the meal after the meal. Uh, we're honored this afternoon to be hearing from Rafael Marcus. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about who he is, but just do it for a minute because mostly I want us to hear from him. Rafael joined Hayas in 2018 as a senior vice president of its programs division in charge of international programs, U.S. programs, emergency response, and humanitarian partnership. Formerly, Rafael served as director of international operations for the German humanitarian organization called Humedica International, focusing on medical rapid, resp rapid response aid mechanisms and complex emergencies. Prior to that, he served as the organization's chief security officer and desk officer for East Africa. Over the years, Rafael has led emergency humanitarian operations and disasters such as Typhoon Haiyan, Philippines, the Nepal earthquake, uh, an Ebola outbreak in Liberia, the earthquake in Haiti, and in protracted crises such as the famine in the Horn of Africa, the civil unrest in the Central African Republic, and the Syrian refugee crisis. Rafael is an expert in humanitarian emergency response and has an MPH in emergency and disaster management from Tel Aviv University. Rafael served for three years in Sahel and the IDF as a staff sergeant and medical team leader in special forces, Renick in a special forces reconnaissance unit. He was born in Bern, Switzerland, the capital, where his father served as the chief rabbi and at the age of age, age 14 made Aliyah along with his family. We are so honored, Rafael, to have you in our midst and to be speaking to us today. Baruch Haba. Thank you so much. Can you all hear me? Yes. yes? Okay, good. I'm, I'm a soft-spoken person, so um, I always have to check. And you can hear me on Zoom too? Perfect. Thank you, Larry, for the sign. So, hi, everyone. It's not yet, not, not yet Shavuot Tov, but, but almost. We're almost there. Um, so it's still Shabbat Shalom. Uh, thank you so much for having us here. Um, having us, we are we have a delegation of highest people here for for people, but it's their territory. They all 
uh, LA based. I'm, I'm the only one who is uh, coming from outside since I live in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, where our headquarters is. And so thank you again for having me here on this fifth refugee Shabbat. Uh, Shabbat where really communities across the world um, celebrate, commemorate. It's a question we, have, we, will, we will try to solve today. Um, refugee Shabbat. And, uh, you know, it, it is taking place really across the world. We have refugee Shabbat um, celebrations on five continents. Um, I think more than 300 communities um, that really signed up for, for refugee Shabbat. And so really a, a growing initiative and trend that we really want to want to lift up. And, you know, I'll be very honest, I, I thought about what to say yesterday on the plane, um, but I just read the parasha once and it was very obvious. <laughs> the parasha just really screams the story of the refugee and, uh, and of the Jewish people. And, um, you know, the most, most really um, striking part, and I hope, I'm not your rabbi, but I hope you were in shul today in the morning, um, is really Shirat Ayam, right? The song of the sea or the song of gratitude. And it's a beautiful song, right? Like this really beautiful song of gratitude. And this song really of, of having just crossed the Red Sea and having just left behind what made them feel unsafe and having this barrier now finally between them and what has made them feel unsafe. And so it is an obvious connection between the parasha, between parasha Beshalach and the story of a refugee and, and why, I'm, why I'm here and why I'm going to talk to you. Um, but it's also really, it, it's really only one part, right? It is, we, are, we, we are reading how they are crossing the Red Sea um, and, and celebrating that. But what I'd, I'd like us to do today in the next 15 minutes is really to, to think about the whole continuum of a refugee journey, which is, starts with deciding to leave, being on the journey, and eventually arriving at a place they feel home and they feel safe. But I would say that something which is very special about the Jewish people who have really experienced it, but not only Jewish, refugees in general, is that the continuum continues. It doesn't end with integration because what we see so often is that refugees themselves then become people who help refugees, who stand up for refugees and who speak out for refugees. And that is really kind of the fourth step, you can say, from leaving, from going through the journey, from integrating in a new place, and then eventually also being able to stand up and advocate and, and support refugees. And that is the wonderful story of the refugees. And, you know, I, I, um, again, we, we see it all around. We, last week I had, uh, I had a meeting with the Deputy, Administrating, Deputy Assistant Administrator of the State Department Bureau for Population, Refugee and Migration. It's a crazy title. Um, and and um, I was telling her that I'm going to LA. I was very excited because it's my first time in LA, actually. Um, and I told her she was going to LA. And she said, oh, wonderful. One of her best experiences was in LA 
uh, just uh, a year and a half ago when she came to visit the Vietnamese community when they were working um, to support the Afghans fleeing Kabul and that that really touched her heart. And so we really see refugees all around the world that once they have settled, once they have found a home, they remember the journey that they went through, right? Zaho, and, um, and, and really stand up for other refugees. And I mentioned before, you know, what should, is it commemoration or is it celebration? So I would say, you know, if, if refugee Shabbat would be on Shabbat Zachor, where you have to remember, it would be maybe more commemorating. On Passover, we should definitely all also remember. But it's Beshalach, it's, it's, it's really Shirat Ayam, it's, it's the song of gratitude. So I think we are celebrating refugee Shabbat. And what I would really like us to do is celebrate you, you as a community and, 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 um, and all the other communities here in the US and around the world that are standing up and supporting refugees, not only by advocating and speaking up, but by actually supporting refugees, right? Like this community here, which was one of the first communities um, that formed a welcome circle, uh, which by now has really grown. We have over 80 welcome circles in the US. We have welcome circles in Europe, even um, in, in all kinds of different countries, in Ireland, in Belgium, in Italy. And so, it is really this, this, you know, the, to see refugees like what she saw with the Vietnamese is, is really amazing. And it's not only that, um, our rabbi just said, right, we, we would used to, we said, we used to help refugees because they were Jewish. Now we help refugees because we are Jewish, right? It, it, this is the same continuum. And one of the things that has actually contributed to that, because highest started really to help refugees only um, in the late 1990s was um, the state of Israel, right? So once there was a home state, once there was a state where Jews could find safety um, in addition to the US, um, there weren't so many Jewish refugees left, right? It was really during the 1990s, there was another um, wave of, of, of Jews leaving the former USSR and after that, highest really found like now we can do that continuum right we don't have to help ourselves anymore we can now finally as former refugees as the people who have experienced that history also reach out and help other refugees and so the state of israel which really gives this home state right um has definitely also contributed to that together with the strong jewish community in the us which had already found a home over many decades um, since Hayes has been working. And Hayes has been really working for, we say, over 130 years. The exact date is currently uh, under question. Um, we say more than 130 years. Hayes is the oldest refugee agency in the world and one of the most important ones. Um, we are one of, one of the five um, biggest partners of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. Um, and we work currently in about in more than 20 countries. And our programs are, um, we, would, we always talk about our core programmatic areas, which are um, prevention and response to gender-based violence, mental health and psychosocial support, legal protection, and economic inclusion and integration. And I will also try to, to use that continuum of the next 10 minutes, which I still have left, um, to also describe a bit more about these programs. 
One more thing that I did want to mention is it's very interesting um, with uh, if, if you look at some of the drafting of the really most important uh, documents and, and conventions uh, like uh, the Convention Against Genocide or the Geneva Conventions or the drafting of the 1951 Refugee Convention as well as the Declaration for Human Rights, Jewish people were very, very uh, instrumental in drafting these, right? Raphael Lemkin, who was uh, very much involved in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, as well as René Cassin. So these are all people who had experienced it by themselves, often in Europe, um, and, and that had brought them really also to, to really stand up and, and be part of that. And there's actually a very interesting article uh, that also tries to show how the Jewish values feeded into that because actually all those four that I just mentioned were religious uh, Jewish people. And, and so that, that's also very interesting. So let's start really to think, well, the, the, the journey starts, people need to move. Why do they move? And I think there are two really important things to mention here. One is because it's fairly bad where they are, right? We always say, um, people only leave home if home is the, the mouth of a shark, right? And we always have to remember that. And we see that. We see that in Venezuela right now um, as one of the rare non-Americans at, at highs, I am able to travel to Venezuela and I, I was there and, and it is very bad. And, you know, we, sometimes people still have to ask, what's the reason? I don't have to ask, what's the reason? If I see six million people leaving one country, one quarter of the population of, of Venezuela, it must be fairly bad. And we saw that, we see that in Ukraine right now. And we see that in all the other places where Hayes has been working. So that's one factor, obviously, the obvious factor. People leave because it's bad. But the other reason is because they have the courage to do so. They have the courage to do so and they have the faith to do so. And it's very interesting if you look at last week's parasha, and I only know that because it's my parashat bar mitzvah, um, parashat Bo, at the end, at the end, when you read the Haftarah, there's a sentence, Altir Ayakov, don't be afraid, Yaakov. So it really ends with this, don't be afraid. And then the next week, we read how they really take on that, that really difficult journey of, of crossing the Red Sea, obviously with a lot of help by God, who somehow made that miracle. But still, you need a lot of courage to do so. And I will not lie if I say that the resilience that I've seen in refugees all over the world is one of the most inspiring thing that I have and will ever experience. And, you know, just having crossed this barrier, it, it, it's really hard to, to imagine, you know, we, we, we look at, the barriers that people are crossing nowadays, right? I don't know if many of you know the Darien Gap, right? One of the most treacherous journeys that people can actually take weeks within a rainforest between Colombia and, and uh, Panama. And as difficult and dangerous it is, we have on average over the last couple of months, 1,000 to 2,000 people each day arriving on the Panamian site. Where we have um, where we have staff members um, welcoming them, providing them services, and um, providing them information for onward journey, or even more, 
if you look at really analogy of what we are reading, Red Sea, let's think about the Mediterranean. It might not be as much in the news here in the US, but it should because 20,000 people have lost their lives in the Mediterranean over the last seven years. That's a, it's unbelievable. And it is still happening. The world is letting it happen. 20,000 people drowned in the Mediterranean over the last seven years. And so it is really the courage you need to set foot, to go up and cross this initial barrier, right? I mean, let's, where, are the, where are the children of Israel now? They're still in Sinai. They're not in Israel yet. They, they just crossed the Red Sea. So, and once they cross the Darien, where are they? They're in Panama. They probably won't stay in Panama. They probably want to go up to the US. So they still have quite a long journey. And even once you've crossed the Mediterranean, um, you will probably find yourself in detention or in, I never call it a camp. It's a detention facility in, in Greece, um, which some people call a camp. Um, and the journey is still fairly long. So a lot of courage and a lot of faith. And the faith piece is interesting because what happens after the, after the song, after Moses and the, and the children of Israel sing the song of gratitude, what happens after that? It says, Ve'az Miriam achot Aaron Miriam, the prophet, the sister of Aaron, took the drums and together with the lady, with the women, they, they sang. Why did they have drums? They just crossed the Red Sea. Why did they carry drums with them? And there's an interesting mechilta uh, by, by Rabbi Ishmael. And he says exactly that. He says, well, they had faith. They knew that they are going to make it. They knew that they're going to be able to cross the Red Sea. So they already had the drums with them. And I found that a very nice way of really showing that they had faith in God. And the faith in God is a very important part for Hayas, because what we really try to do in all our interventions is to be very faith sensitive and take into account the spiritual needs of the refugees, because the spiritual part is a big part of the resilience and faith that refugees show. Obviously, it differs from place to place, from culture to culture, but it is a strong part of the resilience, and it would be wrong for us to not take that into account when we try to help the people. And it can be quite traumatic to cross such a barrier, such as the Darien, but also the Red Sea. If you really look at the words of the song, it's not all bloomy. It's a lot of, and he crushed Pharaoh into the sea, and he drowned the horses, and there's some strong language. And I think it indicates also to us that there's a lot of trauma involved when crossing such a barrier. And then the other question, why do women have to have a separate song? We just sang all together, and then Miriam takes it and they say, well, that's my interpretation, but it is something that I definitely know from my work at Hayes. Well, women and or women and children are an exacerbated risk whenever they are displaced and whenever they are on the move. And that is something which this kind of another thing which Hayes has definitely put at the forefront of, of our approach 
is to really look at um, at the violence that women and girls have to endure and at the more at the exacerbated needs that women and girls have and this is something we have been very much including in our response in ukraine for example where a lot of our work is with women-led organizations um, and also because ukraine had that very strong characteristics of all the men staying in the country because they were not allowed to leave they're still not allowed to leave and really most of the refugees being women and girls in a place which already before the escalation of the war had quite a lot of trafficking activities. And so it was clear from the beginning that um, prevention and response to gender-based violence would be a very big feature of our response. And I think the fact that the women sing another song of gratitude might indicate to the fact that for women and girls, it can be, or it will always probably, until we don't solve some very, um, basic principles um, be under additional risk. So they just crossed the continuum. We continue. It continues, right? They are still not in Israel. There's the journey, the journey itself. And this journey is long. On average, refugees are displaced for 15 years until they reach a place of safety that they call home. Hayes knows that because we've been working in Chad for over 20 years in 13 refugee camps. These are the same refugees that crossed into Chad 21 years ago. They are still in those camps. And so while we did, while the average time went down from 17 to 15 years, obviously nothing, not, nothing to be very proud of, it's still a very long time. And we see that also in, in, in what we read, right? It, still, it will still take another 40 years for the children of Israel to eventually come and cross into, into Israel. And these 40 years are not easy. Even in today's Pausha, we already read about how they start complaining, right? They say, how come did you take us out of uh, Egypt? We have nothing to drink. We have nothing to eat. Because it is tough. Being in a refugee camp is being completely dependent on somebody else, often without really freedom of movement. And even if, you know, most of the refugees are not in camps, actually there's a myth that most refugees are in camps, actually only 20% that find themselves in camps. Um, but I don't, you know, I think everyone here knows about the difficulties and the risks of people that are trying to cross uh, over continents um, like in Latin America, where they are trying to cross uh, to the US. So this journey is still a very, very long journey. And I think this is also something which uh, the, the, the Bible and, and, and our history really shows us that even once you have crossed this barrier and been, having been left, leaving aside uh, whatever made you feel unsafe, uh, the journey is not over yet. They still need miracles, right? They still need Moses to hit on the stone so, so water comes out and, and the manna that comes from the sky. And that is really the story of the refugees. They still need the miracles. Now, I will say that even once they found a home, 
the journey still isn't over. Integration is not an easy thing. And that, I think, is where your community and many, many, many other communities in the US are really doing such an amazing and important job. Integrating into a new society, that can be really, really tough. I must say, in the US, it's pretty tough. I moved to the US five, four years ago, and it took me half a year to first to understand what the credit score even is and why I should need it and why it should be at a certain point and then to build it up. And, and that's me. I came with a visa, I came with work, I came with, I had friends here. So Calva Homa, how it, it is a really difficult thing to do. And so I really wanna thank you this community and, and all the other communities around the world that work daily really on helping to integrate refugees in a country, um, which it doesn't matter really into which country refugees will come, as long as it is different, it is always hard to integrate. And it is very, it is a beautiful way to integrate is when you really have a community that stands um, behind them. So here we are, we've, you know, we went through that whole journey. Hayes really works uh, with refugees in along this journey. So we work in countries of origin where things happen. We have almost 200 staff in Venezuela right now, for example. We work during the journey, as I just said, we have operations in Greece, we have operations in Colombia, in Panama, in Costa Rica, Mexico, across the journey that many refugees take. And obviously we also work, as you all know, where refugees eventually end up and try to integrate into society. And all this work would not be, be as good and, and maybe even not as possible um, without the broad support that we receive and uh, pr uh, predominantly that we receive from you, the Jewish people and the Jewish communities across the world. It is important to work always on, on both sides. We do programming, but we really also need the advocacy. I was speaking yesterday at another temple and somebody asked me, well, what is Hayes doing to stop whatever is making those refugees to move, right? I told them, well, you know, there are no humanitarian solutions to humanitarian problems, and we can only do our work, but the solution needs to be a political solution, right? We can't change the government in Venezuela, we cannot stop the war in Ukraine, and we can definitely not stop famine from happening in East Africa, but we can help, and we can advocate. We can advocate for a change in those countries. You can advocate for the US and other bigger powers to take an active stance. And we can advocate also for them to take into account whatever political decisions they take, that there will be refugee movements. Something which we felt was missing actually when Kabul fell. It was a decision by the US government to do it but we never felt that they really took into account or thought through what that would mean. And so we ended up with really hastily having to evacuate thousands of Afghans. And eventually it was not the government, it was you, the people who really helped us being able to absorb and integrate all those 
uh, all the refugees from Afghanistan and now for, from Ukraine. So advocacy is really important. We have to talk, we have to, we have to speak up. And uh, even if we feel that the current administration might be on our side, it might not be their main priority. And most important, um, we have to be louder than them. But there are other ways to help. Um, I would really um, urge you all to look at our website, join our um, welcome campaign, where you will also receive guidance on how to reach out to, to, your, to your congressmen, to the senators. There's the JPEG event in Sacramento uh, in another month, March 10, 11, 12, I think. May. May. Um, where you would be able to, to lobby lawmakers and, and others. Um, and please also sign on the letter for the Senator Bill 85, a really important bill when talking about integration, really important because what this bill would do is really provide refugees with additional three months of support to integrate. Right now, it's really only three months and then refugees are for themselves and uh, this bill would be unique in that it would really prolong that by another three months, something that we would all really welcome. Obviously, we always like to receive donations too. We have operational costs, which are like, you know, just the security costs in Ukraine. When I look at them, it makes me, I, I lose nights over that. Um, the well-being of our staff, things which donors don't really always cover. But more important than donating to highest here in Los Angeles is donating to local organizations, local grassroots organizations um, that are really embedded in the community. And right now, really, we are trying with J JFCS of Long Beach to really revamp our work with them to make sure that highest can once again, after five years, resettle in Los Angeles. So I all would really also ask you to, to if you are able to donate, to donate to JFCS uh, Long Beach. I will end here. Thank you very, very much for having us, for listening. But most important, just thank you, thank you, thank you for your amazing work and engagement. It does the, it makes all the difference for the people you are receiving and helping to integrate into this wonderful country. Thank you. Uh, Shabbat is pretty much over, but I know that some of us are wishing that this were a summer Shabbat that we're not ending till nine, so we would have more time to hear from Raphael and learn from him. Let's pause to see if we have just a few questions. I know the questions will continue. Shh, just keep it quiet in the room. It's, 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 it's hard in the room. Um, if we have a couple of questions for Raphael based on what he said, let's field one or two, and then we'll go on with uh, Mari Ibn Abdullah. AJ? Okay, the question just so I, the question was how large HIAS is and what our annual budget is. Um, so HIAS, I, I always like to start with the impact. That's the most important thing. So our impact right now, we impact about 1.2 million people each year. That's the amount of people that we manage to support and serve over a year. Uh, the annual budget right now is around $200 million. We have 1,700 staff 
across more than 130 offices in about 23 countries. For education, for refugees, once they arrive here, so there are various various programs that we are running out. I mean, first and foremost, one of the more important um, educational uh, resources that we provide to new arrived refugees is financial literacy and digital literacy. And that has shown itself mainly under COVID. Financial literacy and, uh, and digital literacy, right? Because people not necessarily have the digital skins, that they definitely don't know the financial systems. Uh, and so that's a very big part of what we provide. We obviously try to bring the kids to school as soon as possible. Um, often uh, refugee kids who have arrived here have not gone to school for, for a long time. And so it's important to also uh, really put that at the forefront. There's also for resettled refugees, there's a lot of education happening before they are resettled. We call that cultural orientation. That is courses that highest, for example, gives in Israel to, to refugees that are resettled from Israel. Uh, to to the U.S. or to Canada and to to the um, and Australia, uh, and those cultural orientation sessions are also are, are given all around the world by resettlement agencies. Um, so these are kind of the core areas of education that are provided. That's a very very good question. Um, so yes, there is something which, in our jargon, we call it the humanitarian architecture, and so there's actually quite a quite a solid governance system that is mainly built on United Nations organizations, but also NGOs are, are involved in that governance system, which really coordinate together and work together across the world in various settings. So there, there is a set uh, a system. Um, I won't say it works flawlessly, and it depends on, on what, uh, what crises. Um, it goes down from global level to regional to up to the municipal level. Um, but there is some that there is a system uh, highest is very much part of it, we have uh, people in various task forces of this architecture or in, in um, emergency uh, groups and and we also are very strong in the thought leadership of that so the four core programmatic areas that I mentioned are programmatic areas where we not only serve refugees, but where we also innovate we educate we provide policy briefs. And we really try to come every time up with new solutions that take into account best practices and lessons learned from previous crises. Again, I want to thank you, Rafael, for, for your leadership, for your work, for your illumination today. And, and really for dedicating so much of your life to helping people who are uh, so in need, uh, inspired by your own commitment to Torah and, and to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Thank you, Rafael. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.